0: please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word. And of all the things that we will hear and experience this morning, I pray that we would not miss this important point, that you are a trustworthy provider. Lord, I ask you to help me now as I preach and all of us as we hear. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I read a book a number of years ago from Richard Foster, who's an author I really appreciate, called The Freedom of Simplicity. And in that book, he is it's actually a very short book, um, but it's not simple to implement the ideas he has in there. One of his suggestions was uh, regarding materialism and our tendency to just provide for ourselves when we're in an affluent place. He said, when you find yourself with a want or a need, rather than just going out and buying the thing you want or need spend two weeks praying for it secretly first. And then if the Lord provides it, great. And if you still need it after two weeks and you don't have it, well, then go buy it. And he laid that out as a discipline for us because it does a couple of things. One, first of all, it, it checks our heart. Do we actually really need this thing or not? If I wait two weeks, I'll find out if I still really need it. And it gives an opportunity for God to be our provider. Now, I wish I had that habit personally in my life. I, I understand it in my head, but I don't Have it personally in my life. In fact, I find it really um, appealing that the Amazon app has a buy now button instead of add to cart button. So inconvenient to have to add it to the cart and then purchase it. I want it right now. And I wonder about you. Are you similar in this society? Do you meet your needs quickly? Do you first exhaust your resources before you get to the place where you might consider God and ask Him? We are far more apt to pray when it's a true need than just a want. And in that regard, our sufferings, our shortcomings, our needs are actually really blessings because they point us to God. Oh, that we would get to a place where we would naturally turn to the Lord for everything. That's what I want to encourage us to think about today. But when we're in need, we look for favor. We look for grace in times of need, whether it's big or small. I mean, think about it. When you're in a, a tight spot and you really need some grace, you're looking for that grace, and you go, ah, I can't catch a break today. We're trying to catch a break. We're looking for the favor or the grace, whatever it is. As small as a, a light turning green for you so you can make it to church on time, or a bigger thing like a connection with somebody who can provide a job when you're out of work. Small or big, we're looking for favor in times of need. And my point this morning is that in need we look for favor, and in God we always find it. Now, this morning, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2, which is on page 222 in your Pew Bible, and we're going to look at her story, and I'm going to share actually a little bit by way of testimony of how I've experienced God to be a provider in times of need. So as you get to page 222, let me give a quick summary. This is our third sermon from the book of Ruth. The first one, we said that no road is too far for God's grace. Naomi gets all the way out in Moab and lost and just going in the wrong direction and then turns back. And then last week, Dan said that faith makes God our deciding factor. We decide where is God and let's go with God. And I wonder then, what do we do when we decide to go with God? Do we find him trustworthy? That's kind of the question I'm asking today. Is God trustworthy? And as we're in this alpha course as a church, one of the questions that comes up is, if God is you know, loving, if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? The skeptic asks a question like that. The word if implies that God might not be trustworthy. Is God actually trustworthy? Is he a good provider? Now, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2, she goes looking for favor. It says this, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, that's not a statement of faith. That's actually a strategy. I'm going to go look for fields, and I'm going to look for the one that has a foreman that actually is favorable to me. And the word favor there could mean grace. She's looking for favor or grace, undeserved kindness. That's what she's looking for. Where is a field that has a person that will allow me to glean after it? That's what she's thinking. And what we're going to find is both here and through all Scripture, there is a theme that God is a provider. He's a trustworthy provider. Go back a little bit to Genesis chapter 12, when God chooses a people for himself. He says to Abram, I want you to leave your father's house and your father's land and go to a land I will show you. And he becomes a sojourner and goes all the way to this promised land that God then later revealed to him, and he has to fully trust God. He doesn't have his father's protection anymore. He's not in his homeland. He's not a property owner. He's a sojourner. He's a foreigner. And God is asking him to trust. And he does, and he goes, and he eventually says that God provides. By Genesis 22, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abram finds God to be a good provider. So he's left his homeland, he's left his family, and he's left his father's gods to pursue faith in the one true God. It's just like Ruth's story if you think about it, she's a sojourner as well. She's left her father's land. She's in a foreign land, and she's vulnerable. She's a widow, and she's in a very vulnerable spot. You know, in this four, simple four-chapter book, her name is mentioned 12 times. Five of those times, it adds in Ruth the Moabite, because the author wants you to remember, vulnerable, highly vulnerable. She's a foreigner. She's out of her element here, and she's simply trusting God. She took a huge risk that Yahweh, the Lord, would be her provider. And I wonder if you could think back to a time in your life when you were in a place where you had to really trust God to provide, whether it was by a choice you made or by circumstances that came upon you. And as I was reading through this and I was thinking about God being trustworthy in both big and small ways— I was immediately reminded of the year 2001. I was working as a youth pastor actually at Dan's childhood church. Dan was a ninth grader then in my youth group, I think, or maybe 10th grade. And um, we were at a prayer conference, and Heather heard this word You and Mike are going to England too. And we were praying about uh, helping send a friend of ours to an immersion experience at a church in Sheffield, England, and we heard that word. So Heather and I flew over to England to check this thing out with our friends Tom and Allison for a week, and um, we're you know visiting and, and thinking about this, and I'm feeling like, yeah, this is the Lord. He's telling us to go, and he gave me a word that we're supposed to burn the bridge. We're not going back into the Episcopal Church. I didn't understand why at the point, at that point, but we were to quit our jobs. We were to burn the bridge. We were to go to England for three months. And it was going to cost us everything we had. So, you know, we, we literally sold all of our stuff. We asked people for help. We went there. And we're flying back from that visit. And on the plane, I'm going, yeah, this is God. He's in this. We're supposed to do this. He's calling us to go. And Heather is nervously counting on her fingers the calendar. And she's going, looking real nervous. And it turns out she's late. We're going to be parents. Hannah's <laughs> been conceived already, which added an element of risk, right? Right. And so we were going to have to trust the Lord. And uh, I'm not suggesting that we were nearly as vulnerable as Ruth. Don't mishear me on that. I'm just saying, have you been in a place where you were depending on God to provide, whether by circumstance or by decision? I was sure God was calling us, and it was putting us in a very vulnerable moment. And the question was, is he a trustworthy provider? Is he going to meet our needs or not? And then how is he going to meet our needs? I'll return back to that in a bit. But the Lord is particularly partial to the vulnerable. In the law that Moses gave to the Israelites as they were heading into this promised land back in Deuteronomy, he gives some instruction for those who are the most vulnerable. He says this. This is uh, Deuteronomy 24. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat out your olive trees, you shall not go back over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Also in Leviticus, it said, Don't glean all the way to the edges of your field. Leave the corners and the sides for those who are the most vulnerable, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So Ruth knows this. She knows this, and she has two big needs. Her first need is food. She's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, she needs food. They've got to eat. But her bigger need is she needs a future. You know, what does she have in the future? She's just like this widow, and she's a foreigner, and she's left her father's lands, and she's like, destitute. She needs food today, but she needs a future. Where is she going to go? And what we find is there's a small need and then there's a really big need. And the same is true in each one of our lives. We have our small needs. And the Lord says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But our much bigger need is the need that is met in Christ. And that's what this, this story of Ruth is pointing ultimately to that. We will ultimately have our needs met through Christ, but on the short term, our needs are met as well. It's so interesting to see how God not only provides food for her, but then provides a husband and a future, and then provides for all of us a savior, all coming out of this story. It's like it multiplies, it cascades into this huge, beautiful picture in merely four chapters. The Lord provides the big stuff and the small stuff. And I'll tell you, when we were in England and we had no money and we, you know, we walking a half an hour up from our little rented apartment to the church each day for all the prayer stuff and things we were doing, Um, and Heather's pregnant, of course, so she's not super mobile, I really wanted to check the area out. And you could get on a bus, and it was a whole day uh, excursion, and there was a bike path behind our house, and I've always had bicycles, and I start praying to the Lord, I'd really like a bicycle here. You know, I've asked a lot, but I'd like a bicycle. Walking up to the church one day, there is a bicycle laying on a garbage pile at somebody's end of their driveway. It looks like it's in great shape. Nothing's wrong with it. I go up and knock on the door, and I said, do you mean to throw that bicycle away? And the you know, kind British lady said, of course, you can have it. And, but I wasn't specific enough in my prayer. It was a lady's bike called the Spirit Princess. <laughs> no joke. But it worked great. I used it for three months. I left it at the house, and when we came back to America... God provides in the small and in the big. Now, in Ruth chapter 2, she is introduced to the character Boaz. Boaz is called, in verse 1, a worthy man. He's a worthy man. And that Hebrew word there is the same term that's used for Gideon, the judge, in Judges 6. Gideon also has a food problem. The Midianites have been attacking Israel, and they keep stealing their harvest. So Gideon is hiding in the winepress, press trying to get the wheat gleaned out of, the, uh, shake. He's the, wheat out of the, the sheaves, and he's hiding down in the wine press. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and addresses him, greetings, O mighty warrior. Same exact term is used here. It's a little smoother here, and it just says worthy man, but it's mighty warrior. It can be translated a number of different ways. It means a man of great standing, um, a, a respectable man. Now, he's not a warrior. Boaz is not a warrior like Gideon was. He's not a man of war, but he is a man of high standing in the community. He's a worthy man. He's respectable. He's um, wealthy. He's a landowner. And we see a number of things about his character. He's faithful. He greets his workers with an Anglican greeting. He says, the Lord be with you. And they haven't read their new prayer book, so they have the wrong response. But they say, the Lord bless you. So we find that he's faithful and he's calling on the Lord. He's saying, the Lord be with you. Be mindful of God. He's with us here. The Lord is our provider. All this is wrapped up in that. And they say, the Lord bless you. So his workers respect him. Not only is he rich, not only is he faithful, he's a good man to work for. This is a good business leader. and He's a worthy man and he's in the right family line. And he's attentive. He goes out during the harvest. Hey guys, how's it going? He eats with them. And then he notices, who's that that woman over there? Now, I'm guessing at this time, she's probably 25-ish. She's been married. She's lived in Moab 10 years before she became a widow. If she married at 15 or 17, she's in her late 20s, mid to late 20s. And who's that, who's that woman that doesn't fit? She's different. She's not like the others. And, and notices her. Now, Ruth is faithful to the Lord. And so she has abandoned the God of Moab. She's come to the God of Israel, she's caring for Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she's hardworking. She, the, the foreman says, "Oh, that's the woman that came back with Naomi. You know, you know the one. You've heard the story. That 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 Moabite that came back. That's her. I don't know much about her, but she's been working all morning and she only took one short break. Hard worker. Now, let me tell you a really cool Bible fact. I probably should drop it out for the sake of time, but it's just too cool. I've got to tell you. In your Bible, in my Bible, Judges comes and then Ruth." In the Hebrew scriptures, they're ordered differently. They go the law, the writings, and the prophets. So the book that's right before Ruth in the Hebrew Bible is Proverbs. And you know the last chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, from Proverbs 31, 10, verse 10, down to the last, it's an acrostic using the entire um, Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hay, it goes through all the letters all the way down. And each verse of a poem describes a woman of excellent character. Guess what the word is for excellent? It's the same word for this worthy man. It's the same word for the mighty warrior Gideon. And so it ends by saying, basically, a worthy wife who can find. You turn the page, and here's Ruth, if you're reading the Jewish Bible. What we've got here are two heroes of the faith. This is happening in the days of judges, when there's no king in Israel, and everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Not everyone that's a bit of hyperbole. We've got Ruth, who's the Moabite, coming in. We've got this guy, Boaz, who's faithful. The Lord always preserves for himself a remnant. Remember that when you read the stats about the American church and its decline. The Lord always preserves a remnant. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, that's overstatement, not this guy, Boaz. He was serving the Lord. And he and Ruth together are considered heroes of the scripture. Not because they were particularly great in and of themselves, but because they had faith in a great God. They trusted the Lord to provide for both of them. In this case, Boaz is going to be the one who provides for Ruth. But through their offspring, God's going to provide for all people. Now, I like this in verse 3. The narrator is setting up this idea of God's sovereignty. In verse 3, it says this. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz there's a weird Hebrewism, Hebraism, or however you say that word, of chance and happen. Her chance, chanced, is literally what it says. Her luck got lucky, and she landed in this field. It's awkward enough that you go, wait, I don't believe in luck, nor does the author. She happened to come into this field. There's no coincidences. God was driving this whole thing and providing and guiding, and she didn't, from her perspective, realize it at the time. You and I don't often realize what's happening at the time. God is always providing, and he's always guiding in history. And so he's a trustworthy provider. He leads her right to the field that she needs to be in. And Boaz then speaks to her. They have a dialogue. And, and I've heard all that you've done for Naomi. I've heard about you. And he's kind to her. And so he pronounces a blessing on her. He says this in verse 12. The Lord pay you for what you have done meaning for your kindness to Naomi, for your trust in Yahweh, for abandoning the gods of Moab and coming to Israel. The Lord bless you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that image of the wings of God. It's all through scripture. Uh, Many of you know that old, I think it's a Roman Catholic hymn, on eagle's wings. But it comes from Psalm 91, which is a really powerful um, psalm. And it speaks of God's provision. Let me read just the first couple of verses to you. This is Psalm 91, 1 through 4. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is someone trying to capture birds and sets a trap for them. You're like a bird and there are traps set for you and he delivers you from the snare of the fowler. Verse four says, he will cover you with his pinions. Those are the outer feathers of a bird's wing, the furthest ones out. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You know, Jesus picked up that idea when he lamented over the holy city. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and those sent to it, how like a mother hen, I've longed to gather you under my wings. The Lord provides and protects. And so Boaz pronounces this blessing over Ruth, that the Lord would be her protector and her provider. But the interesting thing is that God often shows his favor through people, through individuals, and Boaz is starting to provide for Ruth and protect her, and he's willing to do even more, but I don't want to get ahead of myself, we'll, and we'll come to that in the next few sermons. But it's oftentimes through other people. Sometimes it's through you that he provides and protects others. Sometimes it's through a different person that he provides for you and protects you. You know, when we were in England, and I had, we had quit both of our jobs, we had Literally burned the bridge, like we cut cut off ties. I guess we didn't literally burn a bridge, but we figuratively burned the bridge. We were told the told the pastor there, "I'm sorry, we're not coming back to this church. Um, I don't know where we're going, but we're not coming back to that church." And then, of course, we have a baby coming, so there's a there's a time time bomb, you know. And we're like, "Uh-oh." Um, we're seeking the Lord. We're asking for favor, um, Lord. I know that you're in this. You've called us to this. What is the plan? Well, a friend of mine, or an acquaintance really back then, now he's a good friend, um, a guy named Alan Hughes was doing college ministry at the College of Charleston. He worked for the diocese, and he was was flying out to Houston on weekends and helping start a new Anglican church there. And he had met with me right before we went to England, just to kind of make the connection, and he starts emailing me while we're over there in England. What turns out to be the plan is... Through Alan, the Lord provided for us. I came back, we delivered the baby. Hannah was one month old, and we moved to Houston to help start an Anglican church um, that's still there today. It's called Hope Point Church, and now their rector is actually the bishop of that whole area. That church was um, where we went right after there, and that church became the church that paid for us to go to seminary and sent us to seminary. It's where I discerned the call. Frankly, I'm here serving in this church because of how that whole connection worked. After seminary, Alan Hughes was the one that introduced me to John Schuler, my predecessor here, which is how I got to Grace Anglican Church. I had no idea any of that was in play when the Lord said, you and Mike are going to England too. I just knew I've got to trust him and obey him. He says, give us this, we we're told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I would much rather have a storehouse of it and use it and know that there's more there, and the Lord doesn't want that. He wants you to trust him today for today's needs. He says he wants to feed us out of his hand, not out of a storehouse. And so it's oftentimes through an individual. Sometimes you're the one being called to be the individual through whom God is providing, and sometimes it's through another person that God provides and protects you. So here's, here's some conclusion on this. Thank God for suffering in hard times because we pray better. We go to him instinctively in the hard times. And let's try to go to him in the good times as well and make that our habit. I want to encourage you to renounce independence in place of reliance. Forget independence. Choose reliance. Get under the wings of the Lord and his protection. And be a channel of grace for others. Jesus said to consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your Father feeds them, and you are way more valuable to him than those birds. It tells us that our Lord is trustworthy. He's a provider. In need, we look for favor. And in God, we always find it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the ways that you've shown us. Personally, I'm sure there are many stories in this room of your provision. I even thank you for the needs we bring to you today. Because I know you're a good provider. Lord, help us to trust you like Ruth did. Help us to turn to you ever more quickly in the days to come. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.